0: Speech Pathology Australia acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia, and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community, and acknowledge that sovereignty Was never seated. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors.
1: Hi, welcome to this week's Speak Up Conversation. I'm Dr Jo Watson and I'm a speech pathologist and course director of Deakin University's postgraduate program in disability and inclusion. I'm so pleased to be hosting this panel conversation around oral health in today's episode. Joining me is Carleen Plunkett. She's a systemic advocate and member of the Disability and Oral Health Collaboration at Deakin University. We also have Professor Hanny Kalash. Hanny is a Professor of Dentistry at La Trobe University and an Honorary Professor and Head of Oral Health Economics Research Stream and Chair of the Disability and Oral Health Collaboration at Deakin University. We also have Dr Jenny Gibney. She's a Senior Speech Pathologist um, in Aged Care at Nepean Hospital. And also, we have, last but not least, we have Michelle Chimoli, senior speech pathologist at the Austin at Austin Health, and PhD candidate at La Trobe University in the School of Allied Health, Human Services and Sport. So, welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I'm going to start with you, Hanny, um, yeah. and I'll ask everyone this question, but I'll start with Hanny. Why should speech pathologists be interested in oral health, Annie?
2: Okay. Well, speech pathologists, as well as many other non-dental health professionals, should have an interest in oral health. Oral health, unfortunately, has been, uh, if you like, removed from the body within uh, the general health uh, Uh, system, and yet it is an important contributor to overall health and well-being. It is not considered by health professionals as an important part of their patient's overall health assessment, and particularly with speech pathologists who work to prevent, assess, and diagnose, and treat speech language, social communication, etc., and swallowing disorders in children and adults, when you look at oral health and the impact that it has, it has an impact on people's ability to speak, to smile, to smell, taste, touch, chew, swallow, and convey a range of emotions of facial expressions with confidence, without pain, discomfort, or disease therefore it becomes a fundamental component of overall health and well-being and quality of life. And so from that perspective, I think speech pathologists should have an interest in oral health.
1: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And Carleen, from your perspective, not only as an advocate, but as someone with lived experience of disability, why do you think speech pathologists um, should be interested in oral health?
3: Hi, uh, thank you, Joy, and uh, I'm very uh, pleased to be here today. Um, uh, uh, I thought I would share two really quick story, um quick stories that will highlight the importance of having uh. Uh, having, uh, I, I, t- t- I speak to a, space pathologist as a part of your, of uh, the, the, the cave, uh, plan. The, the, two stories that they'll be telling you is from people that, that, uh, um, spoken to. The first story was uh, from a very young person who had had a eye stroke. This person went for but went for four days in hospital uh, and uh, had to cl- clean her teeth due to the due to the stroke. She, this person didn't know how to hold the toothbrush in the, in the other hand. Uh, and the person said to me, it, it would have been so useful at that time to be able to, uh, um, to, to talk to the, to the speech therapist to learn how, how to clean the teeth. So that's one example. Uh, Another really um, uh, quick example is uh, somebody who was born with a a, a, a disability. (laughs) Didn't know how to hold a toothbrush. So, this presentation was really. Really quite bad, but, but when the dentist was, I wanted to speak to the oh, family, so I able to um to work out how this person could clean her teeth. So I think that the having a speech pathologist there is uh, Help with our situation will be great.
1: Yeah, yeah, really important. Mm. Thanks so much, Carleen. And look over to you, Jenny. Um, Why do you think species, you know, we we should species should be interested in oral?
4: Well, I well Carleen's experience speaks to me quite. uh, It's something I see every day. Yeah. Um, and it's part of the reason why I became um, interested in oral, oral health and the benefits of it for speech pathologists is really uh, Carleen and her friends were at risk of um, a aspiration pneumonia, which is something that speech pathologists are very interested in and very interested in stopping from happening. And when I um, first started doing my work in the in the acute hospital system, I um, I was constantly confronted with people coming into hospital. So they'd been probably nil by mouth for a few days because they'd been sick, and once they got into hospital, they might have been there for 24 hours if not longer, and they would get we would be asked to assess them, and um, they wouldn't. No one had looked in their mouth in all that time. So, so that's not unusual. And mm. um, and as I say, aspiration pneumonia is is a real problem in hospitals as hospital acquired infection. That it um, is usually uh, put with urinary tract infections and wound infections and things like that. And they're all modifiable risk factors that we that's can. Right. We can actually, if we improve um, in how we address oral hygiene, we may see that people are less likely to have aspirations. Um, Oral debris, people's mouths, it's one thing to have food and drink go down the wrong way, but it's also debris that's sitting in the mouth and on the teeth that hasn't been cleared away and that can just go down with... um, uh, micro aspirations into the chest and cause infection. So, so dangerous. where we're worried about a speech pathologist is th- is that um, it's not just food and drink that is our problem. It can also be um, aspirates from oral debris that's not cleared away by someone doing regular oral hygiene. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that. Um, if, if good oral hygiene is implemented earlier for a patient, then we may avoid them having modified diets. And we all know that modified diets, once we introduce those to a patient, you know, it's not very pleasurable to um, have a thickened fluid, as we all know. Um, even when our food's mashed up like baby food, it looks, doesn't look that great. So we, we could maybe... Um, avoid these types of meals and therefore not compromise patients nutritional intake as well and therefore give them cause to remain longer in hospital because we're not getting nutrition into that person because they're not eating and drinking and um, then all the issues that occur because of that so yes
1: oh well thank you Jenny that's um, a really important overview of of the importance of oral health, particularly within the hospital setting, and yes. um, really, really important. Uh, now, Michelle, over to you. Why should speech pathologists be interested in oral health, do you think, from your perspective?
5: Thanks, Jo. Um, I think speech pathologists as a profession, we're, we're actually in a really good position to be ad- advocating for what Hanny mentioned in terms of trying to reconnect the mouth back to the rest of the body. Um, you know, oral health is health. And I think, you know, we're, we're up close and personal to uh, a person's mouth. We need to look at the structural integrity. We need to look inside the mouth to look at the condition of the oral cavity of the mucosa. We're we're in there looking into a person's mouth um, anyway, as part of being able to support a person um, who might be having swallowing difficulties or communication issues. Um, But again, reinforcing points that have been made earlier, I think you know, oral health is a systemic health issue that affects so many aspects of health, of physical health and quality of life, with which Carlene's already spoken to in terms of that lived experience. Um, and specifically, you know, pain, difficulty with swallowing, um, you know, uh, poor oral health can affect a person's nutritional status, how much food and drink they can take in, um, and can lead to, of course, you know, other more systemic issues that can affect the immune system. Um and diseases, I'm sure, you know, Hanny can speak more to this, I'm sure too, but, you know, diseases such as chronic renal disease, cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, diabetes and dementia, they're all linked to oral health. So I think um, speech pathologists like other non-dental professionals, we we can all play a role in contributing to um, preventative health. Um, but I think as speech pathologists, it's definitely within our wheelhouse to be looking at the oral health of a person because that's directly related to the activities that, that we're interested in supporting a person around. But I think, you know, allied health and speech pathologists um, more specifically can be contributing to this sort of preventative health effort and, and then the domino effect, I guess, associated with oral health conditions. Oh, thank you, thank you, Michelle. So, um, so thanks everyone
1: for answering that question. What I'd like to do now is really pick your brains around some of the consequences of not getting this oral health thing right in our work as speech pathologists. Why is it important? Um, and I'll start with you, Jenny.
4: Okay, it's um, well, hospital-acquired pneumonia is a is a health and safety issue for hospitals. It also costs the health system money. So hospital-acquired pneumonia, there's almost eighteen thousand episodes each year across the hospital sector. Someone getting a hospital-acquired pneumonia um, with or hospital-acquired pneumonia or hospital-acquired infection can spend an extra eighteen days in hospital. Now A day in hospital costs about $2,000, so if we multiply that by $18, we can see that we're looking at about $37,000 per patient per year. So it costs an enormous amount of money. The other thing is that um, uh, it costs to to, um, the person the quality of life, it impacts the quality of life of that individual. So um, hospital acquired frailty is a real issue so that if we are placing people on modified diets because they have swallowing difficulties, not necessarily because they have an acquired neurological disorder or disease that causes problems, it's more that it's acquired because they're just not getting oral hygiene care. So, So for the patient... That can mean that they lose nutritional uh, their nutritional um, benefits from eating and drinking just their normal diet that they would at home, um, because they have to have a modified diet. So this means that they can become more frail. When you get a hospital acquired pneumonia, you're actually um, the you're more dependent for assistance from nurses. Um, you need help with most of your adls so that's toileting showering feeding um all of those things make a difference and the thing is that the patient then because they're not mobile is becoming more and more deconditioned which yeah. they lose muscle and they can become their swallow can beca- become further impacted and they may not get back to the level that they were before
1: wow so yeah, you're describing a real domino effect here, uh, aren't you? And and particularly when you said before, you know, this is a preventable. This is largely preventable. Yes, it's um, you know, quite startling. So, Carleen, over to you. What do you think the consequences are for not getting oral health right from your perspective?
3: Uh, go. Uh, I didn't even talk about the costs. Well, uh, for many people with disability who, who may be on uh, feeling fairly, fairly, uh, fairly, fairly low incomes, mm. the cost of, of going to the dentist regularly can, can, uh, can be used can be quite large so for, for many people they choose to have these ownership uh, funds that uh, so, uh, uh, so that they can access that money uh, uh, if they have, uh, have digital problems so and Sure, it's fairly available for those, and, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, but, 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 you you said, I mean, it's, and, uh, no, no, it's fairly available, and it's, uh, not, uh, covered by Medicare. So, that, that's a real problem. Real barrier. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to share with you was um, a a very disturbing um, story about uh, uh, someone that was seen as having behaviour problems this person was nonverbal, and the, the people about her uh, around each person put it down to her uh, having be- behavioral issues. Thankfully, someone that was somebody that was quite a uh, took her to the dentist and um, she discovered that, that she had bad taste and because she was she was because she she was able to communicate that her mouth was a big size. No wonder the the person was screaming because of the pain. Mm-hmm. So, the the, the the two major consequences pe- people with complex needs can have. And-
4: those care resistive, they're considered care resistive behaviours, mm-hmm. and often stop patients from being being given oral hygiene care. So mm. it is a real issue.
1: Mm. Mm. Oh yeah, thank you for those stories, Carleen. They're they're really important. That that lived experience and. Um, you know, hearing, hearing people's stories is so important for us to, to understand. Over to you, Hanny, now, um, to talk about the consequences of, of getting this oral health thing right. As a, as a paediatric dentist, um, what do you think some of those consequences might be for the people that you see?
2: Well, there's a, a few consequences, and particularly from the perspective of a speech pathologist who are trying to prevent speech problems and swallowing issues, that if oral disease is not managed and uh, people lose their teeth uh, subsequently, mm-hmm. that will impact on the ability of a speech pathologist to be able to achieve good you know, speech uh, outcomes. And also impacts on swallowing because... You need your teeth to be able, obviously, to be able to um, uh, enunciate, pronounce words, and also to be able to swallow. So that's a consequence if that's not managed. problem we have as pediatric dentists or even as general dentists is that, unfortunately, uh, the, the beginning of oral disease does not have any um, major symptoms or signs. Mm. And so the patient um, will not know that they've got oral problems or uh, dental problems um, until they have some symptoms. And once they get symptoms, the disease is well advanced. And therefore, then we have to provide restorations or we have to provide... um, extractions or even extensive um, periodontal management or, if you like, gum therapy. And so it would be absolutely of importance if a a speech pathologist could identify the problems early and then be able to um, refer them for management at the early stage when we can reverse the disease and heal it rather than have to Uh, you know, eventually have to extract teeth. That's one major consequence. The other one is around uh, general anesthesia. So, um, uh, in fact, you know, the treatment for oral, oral disease is the most common reason for potentially preventable hospital admissions mm-hmm. in young people from 0 to 19 years of age. And it's hard to believe that children as young as 2 years of age are being admitted into hospital for, uh, you know, admitted under general anesthetic for okay. dental treatment. So we are... Um, Hoping that speech pathologists and other allied health professionals can identify these problems early, and then refer them to the, the either pediatric dentist or the general dental practitioner or even another you know, health therapist to um, address and prevent um, the, the you know the the disease from progressing to a stage where then we have to extract the teeth.
1: Yeah. yeah so mm. important, Tanni. So important. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we've talked about why speech pathologists um, uh, why it's important for speech pathologists to be aware. I'm interested in in your perspective, Michelle, on why you think speech pathologists might overlook this area, this important area of oral health. Uh,
5: I've been thinking. I think Joe, you know, there are definitely a number of factors that I think. Contribute to this, and I think the the funding model around dental care doesn't help things in terms of a perception of whether you know um, oral health and um, referral onto dentists is part of sort of what what we do as speech pathologists working, and again, I you know coming from a hospital setting. Whether it's our role, you know, so obviously in Australia, when someone needs to go and see a GP, Medicare picks that up. Um, But around, but for dental care, um, you know, an individual is largely on their own. I mean, there are, and Hanny, please chime in, you'll know more about this than me, Um, you know, that there are existing public dental schemes. Um, but, you know, they're very long waiting lists, uh, uh, you know, access to those I think can be very challenging for people. So I think the funding model certainly um, doesn't clarify, you, you know, a role for, for us. Um, I think it sort of blurs it, if anything. But I, I think that there's also um, for, for speech pathologists or, or around, the, around oral health practice um, I think a sort of custom and practice associated with it, and um, again, it's I think uh, oral health and oral care is not necessarily on the checklist to be done um, in a in, in in a hospital admission. So I think that uh, then means that individual health services, you know, sort of do, like if someone takes on oral health, it's because there's a champion within the organisation taking that on and driving it rather than than it being a sort of top-down approach. So the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, which which is the organisation that governs accreditation of hospitals, does now... um, under the item relating to nutrition and hydration, which is under the standard for comprehensive care, uh, does have that if a patient does require a nutritional assessment, um, that the condition of the mouth, the teeth and the dentures uh, are included as part of that assessment. So I, I guess, you know, we this I think is an opportunity for um Hospitals for speech pathologists, for dieticians, for the non-dental practitioners, um, healthcare professionals, to you know to take this on um, and build this into um, perhaps you know the way we do we do deliver care. But I think that's certainly one of the reasons why it's been overlooked up until now because it hasn't necessarily been on a checklist, so to speak. Um, and even even so, right now I'm I'm not you know I think the way that that standard is written, it's it still might take some time for that to be um, taken on and adopted and implemented into, let's say, a daily care plan. Um, Jenny, which, do you want to add Which leads more? me,
4: yeah, and following on from your point about the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, I'm just looking at their top tips for prevention and management of aspiration pneumonia, and there is no no. They they ask us to conduct a risk assessment. There's nothing mentioned about um, oral health, what that person's oral health is like. We talk. They talk about impaired swallow and/or cough reflex, but that's all. Then they go on to talk about developing a prevention plan. There's nothing mentioned in that about oral hygiene, that we need to do more um, aggressive oral hygiene for this group. Um, and they deliver a prevention plan, and that's the speech. They do refer to speech pathology, uh, but it's all about our thickened fluids, which which to me is a problem when we're just associated with modified diets all the time, and maybe even nil-by-mouth status at times. Um, the same with the safe swallowing strategies. Once again, nothing... Nothing in there about a role for um, allied health, not only just speech pathologists, but any allied health person with regard to looking at oral hygiene and how that person's oral health is on admission to hospital and how it might have changed over the course of the hospitalisation. And neither is nursing or medical, I must say. So who Mm. does it? So we have to then ask ourselves, who's doing
1: it? Yeah, and perhaps put up our hand a lot more strongly, (laughs) which is what what you and Michelle are doing, Jenny. It's Mm. um, really important. So we want to finish off with a little bit of a discussion, some take-homes for people. So what I'd like, I'm going to be asking you, all of you, to be sharing some of your, you know, what's in your bag of tricks to, to help us, to help speeches out in this area and I'll start with you Jenny um what's in your bag of tricks
4: um well um I've because of my involvement with the dentist during my research I've um I have uh, I've got uh know about the oral health assessment tool which is a screening tool that was developed by Jane Chalmers a, a dentist um And it was um, developed in conjunction with the South Australian um, Dental Service and the University of Adelaide. And it's easy to get online. I'm going to leave the link for people to access. And basically it just looks through the eight categories that you should look at when you're looking in the mouth. And we're already kind of doing this anyway. We're just not doing it under a a, um, formal Approach, right. you know, um, so, so, and we do. We we certainly comment um, on in our um, in our uh, initial assessment. We will comment on oral health. So when you look at the eight categories, you're looking at the lips, the tongue, the gums, the dentition status. Do they have teeth? Do they have a combination of natural teeth or um, a partial plate? Do they have um, any broken teeth, that sort of thing? And then we look at the salivary flow so we can see whether there is xerostomia, which can also let, let us and know so that we can tell the medical team that this may be an issue. We also um, look at um, oral cleanliness. So, look, is there a lot of food debris in the mouth? Is there plaque? As, as the pictures you will have looked at will show you what you're sort of looking for. So therefore, once again, you have this information and can pass it on to the medical team. You can also look at mouth pain. A lot of care resistance and behavioural change, particularly in people with neurological change or dementia, you know, they... May, as Karlene has said, some people cannot communicate, and the only way they can is through how they might be behaving. And we can't say care resistance is a bad thing. It actually means that someone there's something there's some sort of pain or something happening with that person. And mouth pain can be quite. Why would you eat if you've got mouth pain? <laughs> so, so, so those are key things, and the old Hat enables you to do that. Um, but once again, as speech pathologists, we're already looking at that. that this. We're just, um, I'm just highlighting it to you, really. So um, the other thing with this screening tool is you don't have to be cognitively intact. So, you know, many patients that come into hospital have a delirium. So therefore, they're not able to respond to any questions. But this is just a visual inspection. It takes five minutes, 10 minutes. And you can actually do it as you're talking to them. Um, now, I, you know, when I'm talking to people, I'll often be looking at their lips and things like that. So, yes, so, yeah, so um, and as I said, the DDK rates and things like that, I didn't even think about that. But yes, it gives us an indication of how, uh, how their oromotor skills That's are right. and whether they're going to be able to chew. So, um, and then um, Michelle also, um, I'm not sure, but the mouth care matters website is a really key one, very important and would be a good link as well for people. Um, And and also thinking about hospital acquired frailty, which we don't. And I say hospital acquired frailty across all risk groups because they're all vulnerable. So that's anyone that's in renal, cardiology, neuro, any To get into hospital now, you have to be super sick. So anyone is at risk of deconditioning and hospital-acquired frailty because they're acutely unwell. So we need to be very mindful of, um, of our patients and how we can support them to get back to their diets quickly so that we're giving them the nutritional support to fight off their current exacerbations in illness with older people or their current recent acquiring of a, an illness across any any comorbidity.
1: So, um, yeah, that's in that's a oh, that's nutshell. that's terrific. Yes. Um, Jenny, I'm just wondering if you have any, you know, do you take any equipment, do you have any equipment um, <gasps> up on the wards, like, you know, toothbrushes, that kind of thing?
4: Um, we we have toothbrushes and toothpaste, yeah. So, um, but the key is that it's a toothbrush and toothpaste. Uh, we don't necessarily have denture tablets and things like that. That's something that we often are required to, to ask families to bring in, but certainly it comes to discussing it with each of your, you know, people that you're working with that have the... The money for the resources yeah. to be yeah. able to but it is kind of sad that we don't have access to just the simple the simple um the simple resources that we need just for someone's mouth and I would always propose that um everyone deserves to have their mouth cleaned at least once a day that is not an unfair or regardless of whether they're ventilated, whether they're, um, you know, have a, a anything. They are entitled whether they have a disability. Anything, every patient deserves to to have their teeth brushed brushed at least once a day, um, mm-hmm. and that is a real key message, certainly from me. And that is where I think we need to um, drive this in that sense, just once. And it can be done across the day. It, you don't have to brush teeth immediately after your meal. It can be That's done right. across the day. It can be, you know, it can be used, like as Michelle mentioned, multidisciplinary teams um, and interprofessional professional teams. You know, an OT in her assessment can be doing, he or she's assessment, can be doing, uh, give a brush, a toothbrush, to a patient and see whether they can actually have the fine motor control to be able to do. So, so and a physio can smell halitosis when they're walking down, taking a patient for a mobility walk, and even the team can assist. And so, it's not just about nursing; it's a whole cultural change that we need to be looking at and getting everyone on board, and bringing it back to how it will improve and make their clinical practice easier.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, Carleen, have you, as an advocate, have you got any tricks or any resources that you'd like the speech pathologist listening to to know about?
3: Uh, uh, Yes, I do. Just. very good way to look at is by uh, integration. In Melbourne, yep, that, they've got your they so, yeah. so many resources available and so. Uh, uh, so many of the resources ha- have been been co-designed. So you hear the voices of people with his, with uh, um, you hear the voices of people with uh, uh, the disability. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah no it's a terrific mm. resource isn't it um now uh michelle would you like to tell us about the oral health community of practice which i'm sure there's many speeches out there who are dying to join <laughs>
5: <laughs> um so the the com- thanks joe the community of practice uh jenny and i started it's, it's during during last year's lockdown um and i and i would say you know this this group is sort of i guess a grassroots um approach to trying to address some of the issues that we've been talking about around oral health Um, and it's it's um at the moment i think we have about 80 people and and the idea is that this is a group of health professionals who have have a shared interest in oral health. Uh, We have speech pathologists. We also have a couple of dentists and oral oral, um, hygienists. And as I said, we sort of have all got a a collective interest in trying to um, address some of the issues around oral health. At the moment, what we're doing is we're running the group using um, a platform called Slack. And so, and we've recently conducted a couple of focus groups just so we can set a bit of an agenda for the coming twelve months. Um, and I guess we, what we've what we've identified, and Jenny and I had had a, a feeling that this was so, is that around the country there are actually, you know, some really amazing people doing mm. some fabulous work um, in their own settings. I mean. The, the objective of this particular community of practice is around oral hygiene in healthcare facilities. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it will probably, um, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, Jenny, but I can I can see that it, it could possibly morph into something across mm. more than just healthcare settings. But at, at the moment, that's, that's its title. Um, yeah. So I think what we're thinking is that there'll be opportunities for collaboration um, and, as I said, you know, learning more about what other people are doing and what's worked, um, what approaches have been successful and effective, what ones have been less so. And I think, you know, the um, it's been fantastic to be able to, you know, I think have that sense of community for sure. I think that's what we're definitely trying to do with the group is to grow a bit of a community, share resources, share ideas, um, and and I think Jenny and I also feel that there's there's some real opportunities when you're starting as a grassroots roots group because we we essentially have this number of people who. Who no one needs to convince this group that oral health is important. They're mm. all on board with it, and you know we've we've spoken. Um, we haven't spoken. We uh, we met Hanny um, through a colleague that we connected with Dr. Matthew Lim, who's oh, a lovely. special special yeah. needs dentist. Um, and we reached out to Matthew. Matthew wrote a great article that appeared in the Journal of. Um, Clinical practice in speech language pathology a couple of years ago, and um, I think you know Matthew could certainly see the um, benefits of a group like this that that can actually you know I think really be quite influential in 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 the local context in terms of um, helping change happen at a local level, but also being having the opportunity to influence. Um, at the tiers above as well, yeah oh mm. wonderful mm. and um
1: I'd like to tell you a little bit just just to finish off uh another group that has formed in recent years is the disability and oral health collaboration, and we have a it's a strange um group of of uh, bedfellows i guess um carleen's very much a part of of this group and uh It it was founded by uh, Professor Sue Ballenden, um, who many of you will know as a speech pathologist who's now retired from Deakin University, um, and Hanny and myself. uh, And it just grew very quickly. Um, And that, you know, thinking about what you just said, Michelle, there's a real need. So we have people from Deakin, um, Melbourne University, La Trobe, uh, University of Queensland, University of Western Australia, um, Western Sydney, I think. Uh, yes. Yep, yep, we yep. do. And and so we have, you know, people like me who are, you know, a disability scholar but also speech pathologists. We have advocates and people with lived experience like Carleen. We have a whole lot of dentists um, from all different, um areas and a bunch of academics and researchers so we're constantly looking at what research that we can do um, and how we might be able to you know come together and that's how we uh we connected with speech pathology Mm. australia because it was very clear that that you know there needed to be some some collaboration here so our priorities have been very much, and, and Carleen, you spoke to this beautifully, around the need for education of not only dental health pro- professionals, um, so what is it, what does it mean to support or provide a service to people with dis- disability, um, non-dental health professionals, so Speeches, OTs, mm. disability support workers, um, and people with disabilities themselves. So there's a whole need for education. So that's where we're at. If you'd like to learn more about, you know, what we're up to and um, we're writing a systematic review at the moment around education and training for oral health and intellectual disability, um, so watch this space. Matthew Ling is very much a part of, of this group as well. Mm. Um, so you can see there's lots going on in this space and... I'd like to personally thank all of you for for taking the time to provide such rich knowledge and experience, um, and you know, practice knowledge that that speech pathologists can take away. Yeah. Um, and if you'd like any further information, um, be sure to keep an eye out on Speech Pathology Australia Learning Hub for for details of an. Um, of an oral health on demand webinar that that will be a bit of a companion to this podcast so keep an eye out for that yeah. thanks so much for tuning in and we will be back with another speech speak up conversation next wednesday and thanks for for participating everyone thanks for
4: having us thank you <laughs> thank you
3: thank you
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.